All right, let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20 as we continue in our study in the life of Hezekiah. This is a 10-message series. This is the ninth one tonight. And we're, gonna, we're not going to cover all the history again of the uh, two kingdoms and all of that, except to say that, of course, Hezekiah was the king who did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And what made him so unusual, there are a couple of things. There, God says that there was no king like him before him and no king like him after him. Here was a man who had a father that did not follow the Lord. As a matter of fact, he introduced a bunch of idolatrous practices, even in the city of Jerusalem. But Hezekiah comes along, and in the very first month of his reign, he decides he wants to do right in the sight of the Lord. And he starts out by having the temple cleansed. They worked on that. Uh, they didn't get done in time to celebrate the Passover in the first month when they were supposed to. So they went ahead and celebrated it in the second month. And from that point on, a great revival takes place that lasts for 14 years. And as we've already studied in the last two messages, after 14 years, King Sennacherib from Assyria comes into the nation. He basically takes out or captures about 46 cities in Judah that were walled cities. And then he lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. God intervened in a marvelous way. When Sennacherib issued his threats against Jerusalem, we find Hezekiah going to the temple, laying out the problem before God. And first God sent a rumor in to run Sennacherib off. Sennacherib said he was coming back. And so then God sent an angel and killed 185,000 of the Syrians. A great victory was won. And Hezekiah had not fired a shot at man. He had simply gone to God in prayer. Now, also in this 14th year of his reign, something else happens. And that's what we're reading about tonight. It says, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal thee, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, The sign, this sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or go back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. 
Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. That's an amazing story. I mean, I think it's amazing for one thing, he was offered a choice as to what sign he would see. I'm thinking, you know, I'm wanting to be healed. He's already proved he wanted to be healed. I'd, I'd make it as easy as possible on the Lord to get that shadow down there. But Hezekiah doesn't do that. This is a man of faith. I mean, this hadn't been done before. This is new. This is amazing. Well, let's pray. Father, we ask that you meet with us tonight in a powerful way as we study the second trial in the 14th year of Hezekiah. And it's marvelous what you did. I pray that you would bless us and teach us tonight. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. So the victory against the Assyrians is taken care of, but now another problem comes. You know, quite often, our, some of our biggest challenges in our own spiritual life take place after great victories. In this particular case, though, what's taking place here is something from God himself. He sends Isaiah to King Hezekiah and tells him, put your house in order. You're going to die and not to live. Hezekiah really did want to live. Now, we all know that for the believer, being dead is far better than being alive. Because we know that death for the believer is better than the best of life, not just better than the worst of life. But you still may want to live because right now is your opportunity to do something for God. I think all the printing that uh, Brother Popwell does, when he's dead, he won't be doing any of that printing. You can only do that while you're alive. Isn't that right? You can only win souls while you're alive. You can only praise the Lord out loud here, at least, where others can hear you while you're alive. Hezekiah wanted to still do some things for God. For 14 years, he has experienced a great revival. So this sickness is of the Lord. And he gives us some lessons in the life of Hezekiah where we see him, even in this time of great physical trouble, glorifying the Lord. First of all, there's the pain of the sickness. It is a physical pain. He's not only just going to die, but we get an idea what his problem was. For it says in verse 7, And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil... And he recovered. So it was some type of boil that evidently had, was poisoning his body or whatever. Now, admittedly, it didn't have to kill him because we see here God ends up giving him life. But it could be deadly too. He doesn't go to the doctors first. He goes to God first. And he goes to the Lord and seeks him first. I'm not against doctors. I'm for them. I see doctors myself. I appreciate what God has done with doctors, but there is a king earlier in the life of Israel, of uh, Judah, that first, when he got sick, went ahead and went to the doctors instead of, uh, instead of the Lord, and God said, because you did that, you're going to die. And the king died. You see, the Lord is still the great physician, and he needs to be glorified in every part of our life. So there's physical pain here that takes place. Strong's concordance defines the word here as to burn, inflammation. It also calls it an ulcer, obvious pain as he was bedridden and sick. 
unto death. I remember we had a man, a brother Thompson, when I pastored in Manchester, Tennessee. I say he was an older gentleman, but he was about the age that I am now. So, uh, but, but obviously this is many, many years ago. And he would get these great sores on his legs. And they would run with pus and the doctors would try to graft some skin in over those sores. And sometimes the grafts would take, other times they wouldn't take. They'd get a little bit better and then suddenly it would just, the graft would be gone and the sores would be running again. And I remember going over to see Brother Thompson and he said, you know, Brother Allison, I was thinking, these things are so painful. And I decided what I need to do is just praise the Lord because God is giving me an idea of the pain that Jesus must have felt on the cross of Calvary when he went through that agony for me. This is pain and there's not a thing in the world I can do about it, he said. But just praise the Lord. And that's what that man did. Praise the Lord. Because of sin, of course, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in uh, in pain, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. Had there not been sin, there would be no pain. Had there not been sin, there'd be no suffering, there'd be no death. It is part of life. Here is a godly king, and he is suffering pain, and he is facing death. I mean, when the prophet of God comes along and says, put your house in order, God says you're going to die and not live, uh, you know you better get your house in order. But the first thing he does is he goes to prayer, and we'll say more about that in just a little bit. There's a political pain too. Look what he had just been through. He had just been through a time of great trial where not only was his life threatened, but the whole kingdom was threatened and he had taken it to the Lord. Now you remember when Sennacherib first came down and issued the threats, first of all, Hezekiah tried to appease Sennacherib. He didn't go to the Lord the first time. He was like us. We see a great problem, whether it be a physical problem, a financial problem, or some other problem. We try to figure it out for ourselves. And his, his fear caused him to simply to try to appease Sennacherib. That didn't work. And then Hezekiah got his thinker on straight, and he took it to the Lord. And God took care of Sennacherib and got him out of there. Uh, so there's a political pain. After all, he's the king. And he's not going to be king much longer, according to what Isaiah just told him in verse 1 of this passage. And then there's the prognosis of the pain. The prophet has said, you're going to die. I, I don't know why it is, but we seem to think that it's a great blessing to keep the truth from people who are suffering about what's taking place. God doesn't keep it from Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good man. He had been a good king. He was a man who did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Is it that we do not believe that those who are going through some trial or trouble, that they can't handle the truth? Or that that would spoil, that would, that would just make it worse for them and they would die much sooner? But what an opportunity to glorify the Lord in the trial. When you know that it's coming, when you know what's coming, to go ahead and glorify Him in the trial. I remember seeing Brother Barry go through those things he went through. And uh, my stars, I heard from everybody that went over to see him. Here his body was down to practically nothing. Uh, he had turned in color. And yet you walked in the room, in their main room. He was in a bed there in the, uh, the main room that you came into. First words out of his mouth were, praise the Lord. 
a Bible on his bed and praising God right up to death. Man, that's the way to go out, glorifying God. I thank the Lord in my years of being a pastor, over 45 years now being a pastor, I thank God for the privilege to see some Christians die like Christians. They knew it was coming, and they praised His holy name for what He was going to do. By the way, sinners need to be, and this is just a side lesson here, but it's an important lesson. Sinners need to be told about the reality of their spiritual condition. If they stay like they are, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. The truth is right. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now, the truth is, we're all going to die. The only exception to that is going to be those that are here that are saved when the rapture takes place. Now, I'd personally rather go that way. But if I don't go that way, that's okay. God knows what he's doing. God doesn't make any mistakes. and That's all right. Setting your house in order. Now, that would deal, by the way, both with his temporal kingdom and his spiritual duties as well. I'm reminded of what Amos the prophet said to Israel, prepare to meet thy God. Uh, And we need to understand death is coming. I'm a whole lot closer to it now. I'm closer than I've ever been in my life to dying. You are too. And we're not going to, none of us are going to get any younger. Is your house in order tonight? He's going to get to live a while longer, but is your house in order? Your house should be in order, especially your spiritual house. Then there's the prayer for the sickness. Look at this. It says, then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Notice how he prays here. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. Now, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Is he bragging? No, according to what God's told us in his word, Hezekiah is simply reminding God of the truth. He had walked before God with a perfect heart. He had done that which is right in the sight of the Lord. That had been his walk. Uh, You remember in, uh, in John chapter 21, when Jesus restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Uh, Three times he asked him that question. And then he tells Peter how he's going to die. Peter doesn't say, praise the Lord. He says, what about John? Well, if I would that he should live till I come, what's that to thee? Follow thou me. You do my will. It's not going to be the same for all of us as to when we die, more than likely. I mean, unless one of those planes coming in for a landing happens to drop down short of the runway here on Madison Baptist Church while we're meeting. But more than likely, it's going to be different times and probably in different ways. God's got a way for you to go. He's got a way for me to go. And I trust him. Do you trust him? Well, sure, we got a great God. Praise the Lord for that. But his prayer in sickness, he's practicing prayer. Now, the prophet of God has told him he's going to die. He believes the prophet of God. But he doesn't want to die. Is there anything wrong with not wanting to die right now? Reminds me of the story of of the the, uh, little class of kids and the preacher said to that class, He said, how many of you, how many of you want to go to heaven? And they all raised their hand but one little boy. And the preacher said to him, Tommy, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yes, one day, but I thought you was taking up a loaf for right now. 
I want to go, but man, there's things. I, if, if I could stay here and serve the Lord for a while, I'd appreciate that too. Now, here's Hezekiah. He doesn't go to the physicians. He goes to God. You remember Asa. Asa went to the physicians. God killed him. He said, isn't there a God in Israel? Then you got the place of prayer as he does it right here in his bedroom. He doesn't have to go down to the house of God. Of course, he's sick. He can't go to the house of God right now. And he's bad sick. He's been laid up in bed. But he prays from his bed. Hey, you can pray from your bed. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think that's the reason God puts us in bed. Because we get so busy with the world, we stop praying. We don't have time to pray. But you got all time in the world when you're laying on your back and you can't do anything. Just seeking his face. And he did that. And his plea in prayer was for life. You've got some promises in the scripture for the righteous about uh, long life. Proverbs 3, 2, Proverbs 9, 11, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 10, 27. And there are some verses like in Job 15, 2 and 3 and Psalm 55 and verse 23 that a shortened lifespan is part of the penalty to the wicked. That doesn't mean that a person that dies young necessarily was wicked. But we have a tremendous truth that's also quoted over in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17 where this story is repeated. He says, thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Thank God our sins are gone. You know, they've been taken care of. I'm not going to face them when I stand before God. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west, hallelujah. God's taking care of my sins. But there's a real pathos in this prayer. I want you to notice in verse 3. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah, notice the term, wept, sore. He wants to live. God doesn't rebuke him for that. God rewards him with 15 more years of life. Because the next verse says, It came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out in the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my, of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. God says, I've heard, I've seen. You remember in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, he says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You understand that diligently seek him is not necessarily uh, laying aside three weeks or four weeks and praying for 10 hours a day. In this case, Hezekiah doesn't have that long and he's diligently seeking the Lord. As a matter of fact, only a few to several minutes is all that took place before God turned Isaiah around, told him to go back inside and to tell Hezekiah, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. By the way, those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. God does see our tears. According to Revelation, he bottles our prayers. Our prayers are precious to the Lord. Now, I know that there are some people who don't think that prayer makes any difference, but I'll tell you, if it doesn't make any difference whether or not you pray, then this book lies. It does make a difference whether or not you pray. 
What if Hezekiah had just said, good is the word of the Lord, and laid down? What do you think would have happened? He'd have died. He got to live because he prayed the prayer of faith. Now, sometimes that kind of prayer, yeah, might take place over a few weeks or even a few months. But I'm reminded of Peter walking on the water when he started going down. He didn't have a week. I mean, he said, Lord, save me. The Lord took care of it right then. He didn't have a week to do it. He'd have been gone under the water. But the plea in this prayer and the pathos of it, I mean, he wants, he desires to live. Why? So he could keep being to the Lord like he had been to the Lord. That's why. This isn't a selfish prayer. He's not asking for riches. He's not asking for a trip to Disneyland. He's not wanting to live so he can play. He's wanting to live so he can serve more. Because once you die, the service here is done. That's what he longed for. So you got the promise then that takes place. There's the promise in the answer. Hezekiah's prayer was answered very, very quickly. The pity in the promises, he says, I've heard thy prayer. I've seen thy tears. I'm reminded, by the way, Hezekiah is called the captain of my people. That's what God calls him to Isaiah, the captain of my people. And I'm reminded of what God said to Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when he said in verse 30, them that honor me, I will honor. You see, this is God honoring Hezekiah for being what he was and for praying what he prayed. He's being honored by the Lord. He also makes this reference. He says, David, thy father. Uh, David had been dead for a long time. I mean, after all, Hezekiah was the 12th male king of the northern kingdom. And so David had been dead for a long time. But he refers to David as being his father and not Ahaz, the father just before then. And God heard not just audibly, but he heard the answer. Now, I don't care what you pray, God can hear you care what you say, God can hear you. But there is hearing, and there is hearing to do something about it. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sin has hid his face from you, that he will not hear. That is, hear to answer. There's a difference between him just hearing, knowing that you said it, and him hearing to answer. In this case, God is hearing to answer his request. And he makes a very clear statement. I will heal thee. He gives him 15 more years of life. Think about this. From this point right here. For the next 15 years, Hezekiah is invincible. You realize he can't die? God has told him, I'm giving you 15 years. You're going to live for 15 years. 
Now, during that 15 years, Hezekiah is going to make a great mistake. And unfortunately, during that 15 years, he's going to have a son by the name of Manasseh who is going to end up being the most wicked king in the entire history of Judah. God doesn't take Hezekiah out because of that. Even though Hezekiah allows the people from Babylon into the temple, and we'll talk about this next week, but even though he allows those heathen into God's temple to see what God had, he doesn't say, okay, I'm cutting you back, Hezekiah. No, he's got 15 years. God gave him a marvelous promise, 15 years. He could count on 15 years of being alive. So in these particulars of the promise, unfortunately, notice what happens. Turn over to 2 Chronicles a moment, chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And uh, notice verses 24 and 25. Where the scripture says, in those days... Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord and he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. Underline this. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. Now, he did not allow his heart, Hezekiah did not allow his heart to be lifted up at the victory over Sennacherib. Well, how could it? He hadn't done anything but prayed. That's all he had done. God had done everything to defeat the Assyrians. Well, when it comes to his healing, God's going to raise him up. You better be careful what you get proud about. You know, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Hezekiah did good from the outside threat, but now with the personal physical threat, and he gets healed, he gets proud. His heart gets lifted up. You'll remember that when in Saul's eyes, when he was humble, God lifted him up and made him a king. But when he was king, he lifted up his own heart. And God took the kingdom from Saul. Bible says God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Too many times we want to take credit for the things God has done or thinking that somehow it's because we are such spiritual beings. We are so special to God that, hey, look how spiritual I am. Better be careful about that. I say to myself often, Mike, you just remember... God got along fine before I ever came along. And when I'm dead and gone, he'll still be getting along just fine. He doesn't need me. He gives me the privilege of being able to serve him for however long I get to do that. And anything that gets accomplished that's good, he must get the credit for. Because without him, it wouldn't have got done. Without me, he could have easily gotten it done. You understand that? Without me, he can easily get things done. The fact he gives me the privilege of being able to be used of him is just an awesome thing. Praise God for his great work. By the way, God gives another promise. It's about Assyria. Assyria won't be coming back. I'm going to protect my city. I'm going to protect my people. 
because of you. I mean, think how weak the nation had become. Their walled cities had been taken. Granted, they've been emptied now, but they have been all but totally defeated by the Assyrians. Militarily, they're not strong. Economically, they're not strong. And God told them how for the first two years, they weren't even going to have to plan anything. God was going to provide the food for them. And then after that, they'd have to be planning again. And he's saying, but what about the threat from up there in Assyria? God says, I'll take care of that too. It's not going to happen. I'm looking out for you. Thank God for his care. And then there's a prescription that's given to Isaiah. Now, God easily could have just simply said, be healed. And he'd have been healed. But notice in verse 7 back here, it says, And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Okay. Now we got a spiritual word. Take a lump of figs, put it on the boil. That reminds me just a little bit of when we anoint somebody with oil. The oil doesn't heal. God is the one who does the healing if healing's going to be done. Well, why anoint them with oil? God said to. That's enough for me. God said to. That's why we anoint them with oil when they ask for prayer. All right? Here, Isaiah says, put the, uh, put the figs on them, put the uh, lump of figs on them. And so they do that. Question, would he have gotten healed if they hadn't put the lump of figs on them? No. He said, it's such a simple thing. Well, and here's some real deep theologian saying, well, I don't see the necessity then of the lump of figs. Let me tell you what the necessity is. God said to. That's the necessity. I mean, you don't have to get in your medical books or anything like God said to do it. That's enough. You know, there was a saying I heard many, many years ago. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. Someone else came back and said, God said it. That settles it, period. Whether you believe it or not, you can always count on God's word. I think we need to be careful about rebuking that because the original statement, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. Thank the Lord. Because God said it, I'm settled. You know, it's kind of like when somebody comes along and says, you saved me. Oh, no, no, brother. I didn't save you. God saved you. But Paul said, I'm become by all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Sometimes we hyper-spiritual people get more more pharisaical than we do spiritual in that false spirituality. Be careful about that. But when it comes to the prescription here for the sickness, by the way, shouldn't we follow God's word with regard to our marriages? Shouldn't we follow God's word in regards to raising up our children? Shouldn't we follow God's word according to our finances? Shouldn't we follow God's word according to our worship? God has spoken on all those issues. And shouldn't we be following God's word? Here, God gives him a simple thing to do. Do it. You remember when Naaman the leper came down and the prophet told him, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. And he got angry. He turns around and leaves. And one of his captains come up to him and said, well, if they told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So what is it if you just dip yourself seven times? God said, do it. Just do it. He did it and he got healed. 
This doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to have a college degree for this. If you've got one, fine. But don't let your college degree get in the way of just believing God. Then there's the proof in the sickness. Notice in verses 8 through 11, Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, And what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? Now, I think if I was Isaiah, I'm not spiritual as Isaiah, obviously, but if I were Isaiah, I would have said to him, the sign is you get to feeling better. I mean, doesn't that make sense? That'll be the proof when you get well. But Isaiah doesn't do that. Remember the Lord Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But he doesn't get rebuked for that here. He has a desire for a sign. You remember his father, Hezekiah's father was rebuked for not asking for a sign in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 13. And so here's Hezekiah. God had done some things in the past. He told him a few things that he was going to do. He said, well, what's going to be the sign about this thing? And so then the scripture says, um, let's see, is it a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees? Well, now let me see. Let me back up here in verse 9. He said, the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 degrees. Now, if you were to read some of the different commentaries that are out there, you'll get a number of different explanations or at least ideas about what the Lord may have done. The passage does not specifically say that the, the sun returned or the rotation of the earth changed. It doesn't say that. It says the shadow went back 10 degrees. Well, how could it go back 10 degrees if he didn't turn it back? Some have suggested, remember, God is light. And remember that in heaven, there is no need of the sun or moon there, for Jesus will be the light of it. So if God simply revealed the Shekinah glory of God, the light, that would have outshone the sun and the shadow would have went back that way. Now, I personally believe that he just turned everything back. I, he could have done it with just making, doing, being the light, outshining the sun right there and getting it to go back. He could have done it that way. I don't think that's the way it was done personally. Um, one of the criticisms of the position of the earth suddenly stopping and turning back around for the shadow to go back 10 degrees, is that would be cataclysmic. I mean, people would be flying all over the place. But wait a second. The God who created everything out of nothing, he wouldn't have any trouble keeping everybody in their place with the only thing being different, the direction of the shadow. And that's it. Later on, when the messengers from Babylon come along, they say that this was something that took place in the land that they had heard about. Now, their statement 
almost maybe indicates that this turning back of the shadow 10 degrees was something that was only experienced in Israel and not in the rest of the world. But I still like to think he just, he's powerful enough to turn it back. I don't care how he did it. Um, that, I just know he did it. And so that's enough for me. Now, Isaiah gives a poem about his healing. And it's over in, uh, our Hezekiah does, in Isaiah 38. Let's turn over there. Isaiah 38. And notice beginning in verse 9 in Isaiah 38. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. So now he is writing something that's going to describe some things that were going on when he was sick. Now that he's healed, he writes this. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I'm deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I've cut off like a, uh, a weaver, my life, he will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night, wilt thou make an end of me? You see what his burden is, is that his life, his service here would be over, and he had more that he wanted to do. I think that's great to have more that you want to do for him. Um, may I say... I may have some things that I would like to do, but I don't have a bucket list. I don't have things I want to do before I die. That's kind of even silly to say before I die. If you're going to do them, you've got to do them before you die. <laughs> you can't do them after you die. So, but I don't have a bucket list. Uh, my desire is before I die, I just want to keep serving the Lord. I just want to keep living for God. That's all. Anything else that God lets me do, that's just... The, you know, the whipped cream on top. If I get to see some more countries, if I get to see some more special places or get to worship with some other, in some other good churches with God's people and sing the songs designed with them. Hey, listen, that's wonderful. But my bucket list is all made up of that. I just want to serve the Lord. I think, unfortunately, the idea of a bucket list is if I don't get to do this, my life won't be full. Well, my life is full serving the Lord. All that other stuff is just extra, extra. And his desire, he's afraid he's going to be cut off because, man, he had dedicated himself to the Lord and he wanted God to continue to allow him to do that. He says in verse 14, uh, well, verse 13, I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones from day even to night. Wilt thou make an end of me like a crane or a swallow? So did I chatter, I did mourn as a dove, mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me, what shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live, behold, for peace, I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. You see, he's not bitter. He just wants to live more. 
He's not bitter about the fact he was told. He wasn't bitter about the fact he was told he was going to die. He just wanted to live more. Because for him, it meant living more for God. Now, personally, I think if he would have known at this time the failure he was going to commit, he would have been writing, Lord, I wish you to let me die. The son he's going to have is going to be the most wicked king in Israel. And an interesting thing that we're going to look at next week is that here's Hezekiah. He's got these extra years to be able to live. And when he allows the Babylonians to come in and to see the kingdom, God calls him on the carpet for what he does. And he tells him, I'm going to come in and I'm going to carry Judah off. He says, but I'm not going to do it in your day. He's basically told him, your children are going into captivity, Hezekiah. But I won't do it in your day. And Hezekiah answers this way. This is to me one of the most amazing statements in the scripture. He says, good is the word of the Lord, for there shall be peace. In my day. And every time I read that, I think, Hezekiah, what's happened to you? You've just been told your kids are going to be carried off into captivity because of what you did. Wouldn't that be the time to say, Lord, put it on me and don't let my kids get this? I mean, that's what I think when I read that passage. Hezekiah, is peace that important? Really? Is peace that important in your day when because of what you did, your children and the kingdom's going to be carried off into captivity? He got soft in his old age, didn't he? Truth is, and whereas, yeah, we may all want to live a while longer, I think when God says, hey, put your house in order, that's the time to say, okay, Lord, you know best. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the things you've taught us here in the life of Hezekiah, and we'll see some more things next week. God, challenge us to walk with you, to love you, to serve you. Hezekiah still is an amazing man. Unlike any king before him, any king after him, this is a good man. Not a perfect man, a good man. God, teach us, challenge our own hearts and our lives for you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.